Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. The text of our sermon today is from Lamentations 3, and the title is Let Us Examine and Probe Our Ways, which is a fitting theme for us as we come to the Lord's Supper together today. I want to say a few words by way of preface before we read the text. Lamentations. Lamentations is a collection of sad songs or laments. And anybody under the age of 18 know who Lamentations was written by? Any kids out there know who wrote the book of Lamentations? Jeremiah. Very good. What, uh, what do we call the prophet Jeremiah? We call him the weeping prophet. That's because he had the terribly sad job of ministering to God's people in a time when they were coming under severe judgment from God because of their rebellion against him. They, they were idolaters. They offered children and sacrifice to idols. They were corrupt, rebellious, hard-hearted, and they had rejected God. And they had been doing this for generations, and God's wrath, the cup of his wrath was full, and it was time to spill over into their nation. And he was bringing, raising up the Babylonians to a position of world power, and they were subjugating nations around them, including Israel. And through this, they would ultimately lay siege to Jerusalem. They would desecrate and destroy the temple, Solomon's temple, one of the seven wonders of the world. And they would, uh, they would take 10,000 of Israel's best and brightest sons back to them, back to Babylon with them for 70 years, hold them captive there. This was a judgment of God upon his people. Now, Jeremiah predicted that judgment uh, years before. And God's kind counsel to the people through Jeremiah was, submit to this. This is from me. Submit to it. Accept it. This is my judgment for your sin. How popular do you think that message was? First of all, you're sinful and God's bringing judgment. Second of all, God wants you to submit to it and not fight back. Not a popular message. The people didn't want to hear any of that. What they wanted to hear was a message of hope, a message of victory. And there were plenty of false prophets who were ready to give them that message of hope and victory. Hananiah was an example of these false prophets. And you should read the encounter between Hananiah and Jeremiah found in chapters 27 and 28 of Jeremiah. I encourage all of you to familiarize yourself with that. It's a good reminder for us, as something to ponder, is there are lots of voices around us today. Who do we listen to? What is the message that God has for us? What's the evidence of a true message from God? Well, the people listened to these false prophets like Hananiah, and they decided their odds against Babylon weren't so bad. You know, I think we could stand our ground. And this greatly increased their suffering and shame, and it was horrible. The siege of Jerusalem lasted for 18 to 30 months, a long time. And you can imagine, just imagine yourselves stuck in here with armies around inside this building. You can't get out. It's like the Alamo. (laughs) For 18 to 30 months. How would that go? It went very badly. Cannibalism. All kinds of horrible things happened. 
So Jeremiah is rightly called the weeping prophet. This is, who would want the job that God gave Jeremiah? Ministering to God's people in this time. His laments, his sad songs, are an extension of his prophecy. And they're very instructive to us because we are living in an analogous time. Not analogous in every way. I'm not saying that Israel and America are exactly the same thing. But there's a, a great similarity in the fact that Israel spurned so many of God's blessings and turned their back on God in the same way we have as well as the, as the West, the Christianized West now for many generations have spurned and turned our back on the blessings of God. Incredible blessings. We have squandered an incredible inheritance of godliness from the Reformation. It's all spent now. And we are no less accountable to God for our blaspheming his name than Israel was. If anything, if you were paying attention to our scripture lesson from Hebrews 12, if anything, the ante is upped for us who have come to the heavenly Jerusalem. We sin against much greater light and understanding than the Jews. God is not mocked. We're getting a little taste of his judgment today. What's going on around us is a little taste of God's displeasure for our sin. The sins of our culture, the sins of society, the sins of the church in America, your and my sins. God is giving a little taste to us all of his displeasure and of his judgment. The SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus is a plague. You may say, well, it's not much of a plague. I think that the response, the cure is worse than the disease, in my opinion. Who knows? In time, you may be proven right. I'd say the jury's kind of out on that, but who knows? It could go that way. But even still, it's part of the plague. If we end up eating ourselves alive as a society because of some delusional, irrational fear, that's God's judgment, okay? So you cannot escape it. God is judging us one way or another, or both ways together. God is judging us. And so the prophet Jeremiah is a really helpful prophet to study and to learn, to meditate on, to read for us. There's lots to teach us. No matter how you look at things that are going on today, very distressing things, they can get worse. They can get very, a lot worse. They have been a lot worse at different times in history. We certainly deserve worse, and we can expect worse if we do not repent and turn to God. Is there a way out of this predicament? Can things be turned around? Well, yes, they can. And Jeremiah lays out that way for us in these few verses from Lamentations 3, the third of his sad songs. Let's look at it together. This is God's word, and it is eternally true. Who is there who speaks and it comes to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and ill go forth? Why should any living mortal or any man offer complaint in view of his sins? Let us examine and probe our ways, and let us return to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. 
So the way of repentance is what Jeremiah is laying out for us. That's the way out of any mess, of any of God's judgments, is the way of repentance. God is always willing to consider appeals. He is willing to consider tender and soft hearts and to adjust himself in response to them. He is always willing to do that. That is clear from the history of Israel. When the people humble themselves and pray, God is often lenient and spares them. The way out is the way of humility and the way of repentance. In order to humble our hearts before God, Jeremiah asks three searching questions in this passage. The first one is in 37. Who is there who speaks and it comes to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? This question reorients our minds and our hearts on the sovereignty of God. It reminds us who is in charge, what's really going on, and who has commanded it, who has brought it about. It is imperative, brothers and sisters, in the midst of these calamities, these troubles that are around us right now, that we not lose sight of the fact that God brings them about. God has brought this trouble into our lives. It is a function of his sovereign will. Everything that comes to pass comes to pass because God has willed it. When we're afflicted or afraid or troubled, we get anxious, what is our tendency? Immediately we want to point the finger. We want to find somebody to blame. Nobody likes trouble. Nobody likes fear. And it makes us, I mean, just immediately the fingers start shooting out. Well, her, she, he did. He said, if it weren't for But God reminds us here that behind every action of man lies his sovereign will. It is him with whom we have to do, says Hebrews. It is him. It is not the Democratic Party. It is not the nation of Islam or China, or if you're Chinese, it's not America. It's not the coronavirus. It's not the health department. It is him. He is speaking. He is willing. He is acting. Matthew Henry says this, Men can do nothing but according to the counsel of God, nor do they have any power or success but that which is given them from above. The Chaldeans, the Babylonians in this passage, he says, they said that they would destroy Jerusalem and, they, and it came to pass not because they said it, but because God commanded it and commissioned them to do it. Men are but tools which the great God makes use of and manages as he pleases. Since God is behind every action and he orders the heart of the king wherever he wants it to go, he directs it. How should we live? How should we think? I was reminded of one of my aunts, she wouldn't mind me telling you this story because this is her testimony. She's glad to tell it. She, before she rested in the sovereignty of God, she was a Christian, a believer, but she had not made her peace with the sovereign power of God behind every human action. And many of us have been there at times in our lives. Maybe some of you are there right now. She had not made her peace with this, and she was obsessively following conservative news. And her life 
And her emotions and her feelings were like up and down, depending on what the Drudge Report was indicating or whether the, how the election went or this or that issue. I mean, this was, I mean, she was like, we all knew that she followed this obsessively and she was really uptight about what was going on in the world, stressed out. And then she read this book uh, by Jerry Bridges called Trusting God. And my mom, her sister, was reading this, I think, too. They read this book, and it helped them realize God's in control. God knows what he's doing. God loves his people, and he has a good purpose for everything. God's in control. She came to rest in the sovereign power of God. How should we live? How should we live in the midst of coronavirus with all the stats and the models and the arguments and the articles and the blog posts? How should we live? How should we think we should fear God? We should look to him. We should trust him and we should humble our hearts before him. He is acting and speaking through these circumstances to you and me. And he says, humble yourself, probe your ways, and return to me. It's good to be informed. It is not godly to bury your head in the sand and to not be aware of what's going on or what it means, what it indicates. But if, if you don't ultimately and quickly go to God is in control, God is willing, God is powerful and sovereign, and he is the judge who is judging, then you're not thinking about this right. You're not rightly oriented in your mind. The second question that Jeremiah asks us is, is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and ill go forth? He's not commenting on the origin of evil, theodicy. He's talking about God's providence as he, as he dispenses circumstances into our lives and we encounter blessings and troubles. And he's saying, doesn't God sin both? Don't they come from him? The question draws our attention to his providence and our disposition to it. Are we prepared to accept whatever God brings? Remember the, you remember Job. The example of Job in this regard is the classic example from Scripture. When Job found out that he had lost all of his children, what was his response? The Lord gives, the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in the next chapter, when his wife is telling him to give up and die, curse God, Job. There's too much trouble in your life. Curse God and die. He says, Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? Both come from God. Are we willing to accept it? I was thinking of the example of one of the deacons in my church growing up named Joe Frank. Joe Frank was a godly man. He was the best prayer in our church. So it was our custom to have people pray from the floor at times in the service, and always wanted to have Joe Frank play, pray because he walked with God. 
and it was evident in how he spoke of God and how he prayed to God. It was just, he's a beautiful man, still alive. He was married for a long time, and one day the doctor came out of the operating room to tell Joe Frank that his wife of many years had died on the operating table. I think she was having brain surgery, and she died. And Joe Frank said, doctor's standing there, people are around him. Joe Frank says, praise Jesus, glory to God. Now, if you know Joe, you know that's not like glib or fake and cheap. That's, Joe, that's his way of declaring God has given, God has taken away. Blessed be his name. God brings both blessing and affliction into our lives. And we're amazed that he sends affliction. We're amazed that he sends affliction. We're like caught off guard by it. We're troubled by it. We're like, ah! Affliction. Why is that surprising? It's surprising because we completely think wrongly, completely are wrong in our orientation to reality. We should rather be amazed that he ever blesses us. The troubles God sends are very much less than we deserve. They're very lenient. Scripture calls them momentary light afflictions. That's as high as, you know, all of our troubles. The worst of them rise to the level in Scripture of momentary light afflictions. We should be amazed as we remember who God is and remember ourselves that God is ever kind to us. But that he, and when he sends trouble into us, it's so light. And it has such a good purpose. They're, they're, what is it? These momentary light afflictions are what? What is it, Tim? Yeah, they're storing up for us treasures in heaven. They're preparing us for heaven and to an inheritance there. What does God intend by sending trouble and adversity into the lives of his people? Well, ultimately, a good, he has a good purpose. It's the, his way of marking us as his sons. All discipline comes as a sign of God's love. Those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. And it's for a good purpose that we might share his holiness and be fit for heaven and bear the fruit of righteousness. Do you receive God's discipline? Are you receiving God's discipline with humility and with gratitude? Or like the Israelites in the wilderness, do you murmur and complain and repine, accuse? We do complain, don't we? We're complainers. Anticipating this problem, Jeremiah asks a third question in verse 39. He says, why should any living mortal or any man offer complaint in view of his sins? Another translation could be, why should any living mortal or any man murmur or repine? This question is a rebuke. Jeremiah is really saying, you have absolutely no business complaining, you wicked fellow. That's what he's saying. Rhetorical questions are often like, 
meant to poke and prod and get you to think. It's like, like a father with his son. Son, was there any reason that you left the tool there? You know, this is like God dealing with us as a father, rising up, taking our head in, the, in his hands and saying, why, answer me these questions, you know. Why should any man offer complaint in view of his sin, son? Who do you think you are, complainer? <laughs> First of all, you're just a man. You are not the potter, you're the clay. Who are you to answer back to God? Second of all, you're a sinful, disobedient, and wicked man. Don't you realize it's a mercy that you're even alive? The troubles you're facing are infinitely less than you deserve. You're looking at things the wrong way around. You should be counting your blessings, and not your troubles. Uh, G.K. Chesterton wrote a wonderful book called Orthodoxy, and there's a chapter in that book that everybody should read about once a year. Complainers, especially, should read this once a year. So everybody should read this once a year. It's, the chapter's called The Ethics of Elfland. I know. It's a, it's a little special. But it really is a meditation on gratitude. And towards the end of it, he starts talking about Robinson Crusoe and what he likes so much and appreciates and what he thinks the real message of Robinson Crusoe is. And here's what he says. Crusoe says Chesterton, is a man on a small rock with a few comforts just snatched from the sea. The best thing in the book, says Chesterton, is simply the list of things saved from the wreck. The greatest of poems is an inventory. Every kitchen tool becomes ideal because Crusoe might have dropped it in the sea. It is a good exercise in empty or ugly hours of the day to look at anything, the coal scuttle or the fire poker or the bookcase, and think how happy one would be to have brought it out of the sinking ship on a solitary island. <laughs> Jenna and I have been talking a lot, thinking a lot about rugs, <laughs> way too much about our living room rug. <laughs> we apparently don't have the same taste, but we both agree we want a new rug. <laughs> hours and lots of thought and swiping on the phone about rugs. Our living room rug's really great if it was, you know, pulled out of a wreck and put on the desert island. You know, it really changes your perspective. Chesterton says, it's better even to exercise still uh, or to remember still how all things have had this hairbreadth escape. Everything has been saved from a wreck. What's your orientation to life and yourself and God and your blessings and what you have and don't have, what you're afraid of might happen, what is happening? What's your orientation to these things? Is it, man, it's amazing God is so good. The wreck of our lives is the wreck of, of sin, the wreck of the fall. And when we, if we forget the fall, we forget ourselves. If we are swelled with pride and forget God and forget who we are in relation to Him, then we have forgotten everything. Forgetting ourselves leads to misery, complaining, and bitterness, and weariness. Listen to what Calvin says. 
From here comes troubles and weariness. When men feel and deplore, that is hate, their outward evils, but consider not the cause. So there's a lot of hating of outward evils to be done today, right? There's a lot of things to think, man, that's a, that's a pain. Man, that's scary. Man, I don't like that. There's a lot of that to look at. And, and, but that, thinking only about that leads to weariness, Calvin says, if we don't think, what is the cause of those things? What is the inward cause? That is when they consider not that they are justly chastised by God. Be honest, brothers and sisters. What has taken up most of your thought life, your meditation, these past months? Your own faults, your sins, your imperfections, or out external evils, the problems of others, the faults of others. What's taken up your thoughts? And if, if we don't meditate on our faults on our sins and turn to God in repentance, we're only going to kindle up more wrath for ourselves. God is not pleased when we are missing the point. The point is brother, sister, son, daughter, wake up. Remember your faults. Remember your sins. Remember God. Do you want a way out of this mess? Who doesn't? I mean, yeah. There's a, I mean, if everybody wants a way out of this mess. That's what is going on on Facebook right now. That's, that is what everyone's trying to accomplish. Everyone's trying to chart some sort of path out through boring in and understanding what's going on and, and sort of saying, here's the way, here's, here's the solution, here's what we need to do. We either need to like, get aggressively, go aggressive in this direction or go aggressive in this direction, but everybody's trying to chart a way out. But Jeremiah lays out the only real course of action to take. There is only one true remedy for sin and for the predicament of our time. What is that remedy? In verse 40, he says, let us examine and probe our ways and let us return to the Lord. Let us examine and probe our ways and let us return to the Lord. That's the only true remedy to God's judgment. Jeremiah's point in asking these preparatory questions, these, the leading up to this last statement, is so that we will reflect on who we are. And remembering ourselves and our need of God's mercy, return to the Lord. When we forget ourselves and forget God and are filled with pride, then we are far from God and He is far from us. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Here's what He says in Psalm 138. For, the lo- for though the Lord is exalted, yet He regards the lowly, but the haughty He knows from afar. He is not near to the haughty, the proud. What do our hearts reveal about us? What do our words, our thoughts, our actions reveal about us these last months? Just take stock of your life. Take stock of your meditations. Take stock of your words, your advocacy, your posts, 
what, is these, what are these things, what's the true story that they're telling about you and me? Are we, are we low? Are we humble? Are we softened? Are we improved by these circumstances? Or are we wearying ourselves and storing up wrath for ourselves? When we humble ourselves and seek God in repentance, we are reconciled to him, and he is reconciled to us. He says in Isaiah 57, For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, I dwell on a high and a holy place, and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit, in order to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. So God is very near to those who are humble. And not just near, but near for, to bless them, to revive them, to give them strength, to give them help and encouragement. There's a way out. There's a way forward. And that is repentance. There is no political scheme or health scheme that we can conceive that is going to help us escape the judgment of God. We must repent. And I don't mean Nancy Pelosi and George Soros. Yes, them. But I really mean, I don't even mean the church in America. Yes, her. I mean this church. I don't even mean this church. I mean you and me. It is time for judgment to begin in the household of God. God would have us judge ourselves. Let us examine and probe our ways. And let us return to the Lord. He will receive us. He's willing and ready to receive us if we repent. Let's go to him now. Seek him in repentance, seek his face and seek his strength and blessing in our lives as we come to the Lord's Supper together.